church says amen. Please be seated. Well, Robin, that, that song will preach. I'm telling you, I like that one. Let's keep that one in the rotation. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel. We're going to be hitting a pretty uh, powerful story, but hopefully a, a story that we all enjoy uh, from 1 Samuel chapter 17. You know, I think a lot of people delay doing things they just don't want to do, right? They know what they're supposed to be doing, but if it's not something they want to do, they push it off. It's called procrastination. And so sometimes when we're talking about change in our lives, it's not that we don't know what we need to do, it's that we don't really want to do that. And so we push that on out. We procrastinate. And so we're in our third week of our New Mercies series where we're talking about God continues to do new work in each of our lives spiritually. But how do we do that? Well, it's a combination of things. Part of it is adding in new practices that will help cultivate this change and this Christ-likeness in who we are. But it's also getting rid of some things that we need to pull out. And sometimes uh, in our lives, we're trying to bring about change. This delay throws a kink in things. And so uh, sometimes when we delay, it's we just want to kind of push that on out, the things that we know we need to do. And, and we think, uh, and we kind of trick ourselves saying, well, I can postpone that a little bit. And, and sometimes we even spiritualize some things. We, we know we need to make a decision. We know we need to move forward with something. But we kind of push that out and say, well, maybe I'm going to pray about it for another year. Right? And so we know we need to make a decision, but you, you push things out. And so you delay. And so the goal for this morning, what I hope to get across, is not to allow procrastination to hinder your spiritual growth. I think we all procrastinate about different things. Uh, how many of you procrastinate about home improvement things? You know, something happens at the house and you know there's a problem, uh, but yet sometimes we're like, you know what, that problem can wait a little long. Does it usually get better or get worse? Worse. At the beginning of, of Snowmageddon, I got a text from the guy that helps clean our pool every week, and he says, we're going to get down into single digits over the next two days. And he goes, your pump is not going to be able to keep up. You might want to go turn it off and go and get all the drain plugs and drain all the water out of your system. And then after, we can fill it back up and you'll be fine. The only problem is he sent it at night when it was dark and when it was cold and it, when, when it was windy. And so I thought, okay, I know I need to do this. I'm going to push that off to the morning where I can really go after it. Of course, my system seized up. And $900 later in crack pipes and burnout engines, I've learned my lesson. But we, we also procrastinate about other things. How many of you, when you were in school, some of you watching are in there now, and you pulled an all-nighter to write a term paper or a major paper? And that paper didn't sneak up on you. Your teacher assigned that in the syllabus three to four months earlier. But yet we delay, we push it off, something we know we need to do, right? Sometimes it's a project at work. Your boss has assigned you something to do. 
You don't want to do that. You've already got so much other things. And so what do we do? Instead of just buckling down and getting it done, we push that off. And every time we see our boss, whether it be in the hallway or on a Zoom call, we we kind of duck down and we try not to make eye contact because we have not done the task that's been put before us. Maybe it's having an awkward conversation with a family member. You know something needs to be communicated, but you know sometimes it's going to be painful, it's going to be difficult, And so even if you talk with that family member, you talk about surface level things because you don't want to go through that painful experience. Well, each of us have times when we procrastinate. Sometimes there are people that procrastinate all the time. It's just a way of of doing things. So you run out of gas a lot because you don't want to pull over and take time to fill up. You know, uh, you pay penalties on taxes every year because you don't get them done on time, and you also delay even filing the extension. Uh, Maybe you've served your family's waffles and asparagus because that's all you had in the house for that meal. How many of you have eaten a crazy meal based because you haven't gone to the grocery store? Yeah, and so procrastination is part of who we are. Well, the word procrastination is derived from the Latin verb procrastinero, which means to delay until tomorrow. So we're familiar with that. This idea of we know what we need to do, but we're going to push that on out. It'll eventually, we'll make it on our list, and eventually it'll get done, but not now. But there's another portion to this. There's another part we need to talk about it. Because the Greek word for procrastination is akrasia. And what that is, is doing something against our better judgment. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. It's not just delaying. It's knowing that there will be a price to be paid for when we delay. That it will not be in our best interest if we don't do this right now. If we push this decision off. If we don't have that conversation if we don't step into what we've been called to do. And so we want to just sit it out another day, another week, another month, another year. But we know that there's going to be a price to be paid. Charlotte Lieberman in her article says, why do you, entitled, Why Do You Procrastinate? says this. She said, procrastination isn't a unique character flaw or a mysterious curse on your ability to manage time, but a way of coping with challenging emotions and negative moods induced by certain tasks. Maybe it's a task that's boring, or it's a task that produces anxiety, insecurity, frustration, resentment, self-doubt, and beyond. So sometimes when we procrastinate, it's not that we're lazy. Oftentimes, we're very busy. We'll put that task up on the shelf, and then we'll go get busy doing something else. And we'll get really creative in how we spend our time. It's not that we're procrastinating sitting on the couch. We're just shelving what we know needs to be done. So, sometimes when we put off those tasks, it's so we can avoid stress. But subconsciously, we know that by shelving that and putting it off, it's going to produce even more anxiety and more stress because that task has not been done. So that's the cycle that we go through. 
So this morning, I want us to look at a character from Scripture who procrastinated from what he know he was called to do. And I'm sure as it unfolded and this task kept going, God's looking down and going, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing something? This is what I called you to do. This is how you're uniquely created for this moment. And yet this moment continues to pass and pass and pass because you're unwilling to step in and take action. You know, sometimes God gives us so many chances to get the job done. And then when that moment passes, God says, it's too important for my will not to be accomplished. And we're just going to have to go bypass you and allow someone else to carry the ball forward. First Samuel chapter 17 and verse 16, it tells us that for 40 days in a row, the giant Goliath stood before Israel, not just once a day, every morning and every evening, and just spewed venom upon the people of Israel, called out for someone to come out and fight him, and called out the God of Israel that must be weak and powerless. Eighty times King Saul allowed this venom to spew forward. Eighty times his army realized he was not going to step up and take on this battle. No one answered. And it was Saul's challenge Yet 1 Samuel 17 and verse 11 says this, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. If your king and your leader is terrified to move forward, guess what the army is going to do? They're going to follow suit. They're not going to step forward. They're going to stay back. So Saul looked like their leader, yet he refused to walk into the battle a battle that had his name all over it. You know, God had anointed him king, but yet for 40 days, he remained passive. And he refused to go down, to step onto the battlefield and take care of the business at hand. You know, when Goliath demanded an Israelite send out a champion to fight with him, Saul ought to have accepted the challenge. You know, wasn't it that what the people wanted? When they came before Samuel and said, we want a king. No, you've got me. You've got God. He goes, no, we want a king. Why did they want him? Well, 1 Samuel 8 and verse 19 and 20 says, we want a king and the king that will lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. They knew what God's will was, that they completely rid the promised land of all these foreign people. And we know, dating back to Joshua and, and Caleb, there were giants in the land. People were afraid. They're like, we need a king, someone that's going to lead us into battle so we can be successful. And someone who's big, he can go up against these giants we know we're going to face. You know, some battles are not for you to fight. And I pray for discernment as a leader. I, I pray, God, help me know where to, to focus my energy. But other battles, you know, no, this is my battle. This is a battle that my name is on. 
and I've got to step forward. So don't try to pass off what you need to do to your wife. This is your battle to do. You know, young people, sometimes we got to realize there are battles that you've got to fight, and you can't allow your parents to bypass what you need to do and step in and fight that battle. No, that's part of growing up. As we go through challenges, they start off smaller and they get bigger. But if you never learn to fight those challenges and step into the battle, when the bigger battles come, you'll be dead in the water. God calls us to, to identify with the battles that have our name on and then step forward and do them. 1 Samuel 9 and verse 2 says this, Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel. Can you get a picture of him? He was a head taller than anyone else. He fit the part of what the people wanted. You know, like Goliath, he was large. He was trained in battle. He had armor. Uh, scholars think he was between 6'4 and 6'6, which was incredible back there in, in that time with the average height of people being around 5'5 five, five to 5'7. Five, so he was a giant in the land. Everyone could see him in a crowd. And that's who they wanted to go, to be their giant, to go out onto the field. He was Israel's guy. The name of this battle was supposed to be Saul versus Goliath. And see what God can do through Saul. He's shorter, but it's still Saul's battle. Last night, when the 14th seed, Abilene Christian, took out the number three seed, Texas, it was called a David versus Goliath story. And by the way, in my bracket, they go all the way and take out Baylor in the final. But we're, we're, we're hoping, we're hoping, right? But for 40 days, Saul knew this was his challenge. Saul knew it was his battle. He heard those cries, and in my mind, he stepped away from the front lines, and he's back in a tent. He has removed himself because of a conversation that's about to take place. Saul's not there. He has abandoned his troops. He's back. He's getting reports. This is what's going on. But he no longer remains on the front line because he doesn't want to hear. He doesn't want to hear that, Saul, this is your challenge. This is your battle, and you're not stepping into it. Forty days. Saul would soon learn that we need to realize there's a price for passivity. Eventually, God passes us over for someone who will get the job done. God will not force you to trust him. He simply moves on to someone who will trust him and will get the job done. During this delay, Jesse has some boys that are out there, supposed to be fighting, but they're, they're out there at least. And he sends his young, young son, David. And he says, David, I want you to go up to the front line and carry some provisions with you. So David's all excited. He gets someone to take care of the sheep while he's gone. He loads up, and he's ready. He's the one that got left behind. He's ready to see some action. He's ready to see what God is doing against their foe. And, and, and so he, he shows up. First Samuel 17, verse 20 says, Early in the morning, David left his flock in the care of a shepherd uh, and, and loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. 
And don't you know, he, he kicked his donkey or whatever he was on and got it going a little faster. And, and he reached the camp as the army was going out to battle position. He's like, all right, here it goes. Shouting the war cry, Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other like they did every day. David's like, all right, let's go. David left his things to the keeper of the supplies. Says, here, take care of this. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go up and see what's going on. He ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers, oh, okay, how you doing? Are, are we ready to go? And as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. David heard it. Whenever the ears of light saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Everyone fled that day except for David. They're all running back. They're all within safe cover. They know how, how quickly the giant can get to him, how far he can throw his javelin. So they take a step back. David stands firm. He's like, where are you guys going? Well, he's kind of big. What's the price on this guy's head? I, I know if y'all haven't taken him out, there's a price. And they're like, well, yeah, King Saul, great riches from his purse. He'll throw in his daughter in marriage and by the way, your father and his whole household um, not going to pay taxes. I guarantee if Jesse knew that was it, he would have grabbed Ellie up and said, get out there and fight. I don't want to pay taxes ever again. I mean, but that's what was on the line. And so, wow, this king is willing to pay off someone to do his job. Even giving his own daughter person whose name is on the battle checked out said I'm not going to do it each of us know battles that our name is on that we have delayed that we have shelved we've avoided and we passed off to others well word gets back to King Saul that someone is talking about actually going out and they're like bring him in so they go grab David, once again, away from the front lines where the soldiers are, take him back to the tent. It's like, well, hey, come on in. At this point, Saul, Saul didn't know who he was. And he's like, you know, kind of introduced himself. He goes, now tell me what you have in mind. He goes, well, I, I don't lose heart on account of this Philistine. I'm going to go out and fight him. And Saul's like, okay, I, he was down in the valley. I, you can't really tell. This guy is huge. He's like nine foot tall. This uncircumcised Philistine. He's been a trained fighter since he's a youth. You're just a boy. He's like, well, yeah, but my father put me in charge of all his sheep. While I'm out there, sometimes lions will come. Oh, there was this one lion that came in. I threw my rock at it. It kind of stunned him. But he started to get back up. So I hopped on him, grabbed his mane, wrestled him to the ground, and I popped his neck. Oh, really? Yeah, and then there was this bear. He, uh, you fought a bear? Yeah, let me show you the pulled up his sleeve. See these claw marks? Wow. You took out a, the bear. Get you? No, I got the bear. 1 Samuel 17, verse 37, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. It has nothing to do with the adversary. It has everything to do with who's fighting with me on this task I don't want to do. So Saul, he doesn't know it, but he's entering into a lose-lose proposition as a leader. Number one, if David goes out on the, on the battlefield and he dies, well, what's the narrative going to be? 
At least this young boy went out on the field. And if he wins, what a PR nightmare for Saul. We finally got a leader who'll step out on the field. We finally got someone that will step up against the bully. We finally got someone that realizes it's not about them, that it's what God can do through them. Apparently our king has forgotten that. A few months ago, middle of the night, I was woken up. Our back gate opened and closed. Now, since we have a pool, it's on a spring. So it opens and then clanks shut. So there's three options. And I'm thinking in my mind, number one is uh, we didn't get it quite closed well and the wind blew it and popped it back shut. Uh, number two is we've got Gus, our beagle slash pit bull, kind of an odd combo, but he's back there and maybe he sniffed something and he pushed and then he got scared and came back and it clanked. Number three is an intruder. So my first thought was, I need to play possum and act like I didn't hear anything, right? So I'm laying there in bed, and my wife knows, because I wrestled, that I heard what she heard. She goes, really? You want me to go out and see what that was? And my first thought is, if it's an intruder, she's a better shot. But then I'm thinking, how am I going to explain this to my buddies? There's an intruder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what'd you do? Well, Jill, where were you? I was in bed. You let your wife? That's what King Saul did. He's willing to let a young boy go out and fight his battles because he realized God was no longer with him. He no longer had the courage that he needed to do the job. David leaves his armor behind him. King Saul tried to give him his coat of armor and his helmet and his sword. In my mind, Saul didn't have to take those things off. Saul wasn't ready for battle and go, oh, okay, well, if you're going to, I was going to go, but if you're going to go, here, let me, let me get, no, this stuff's sitting in the corner. He's like, there's my stuff. Go try this stuff on. So poor, you know, David's trying to put this on. He was like a kid in his, his grandfather's coat, and he's like, this isn't going to work. And so it's just oversized. He goes, no, I'm not going to do this. And so Saul tells him, go and may the Lord be with you, because I'm not going to be. And he sends him out to do this. And if you're a leader and you won't lead, God will find someone to do your job for you. Right? He won't put up with passiveness. So David leaves the armor behind. And instead he goes down into a stream and he arms himself with five smooth stones to go with his sling. Puts him in his pouch. I always wonder, because later we'll find out in the story, it's kind of spoiler alert, one strike and boom, hits him dead. Why do you have to get five stones? My personal study, I came across in 2 Samuel 21 and verse 19. Goliath had four brothers. I don't know if they were there that day, but he's like, if they are, okay, I'm, I'm taking care of the big one, but you guys are still pretty big. I got four more stones. Who, who's ready? And so he takes four more, he gets five stones all together. Guess who's not happy that David walks out onto the battlefield? Goliath. He's like, 
this isn't going to pad my resume. How can I build a platform when all I'm doing is finding a young shepherd boy? He's like, he's, he doesn't even have armor on. He's not ready to fight. He's, he can't fight. You come at me with sticks and stones. What am I, a dog? Why are you sending this guy out here? There's no upside for me to fight you. 1 Samuel 17, verse 45, David said that the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. I often wonder if he's facing Goliath or if he's turning around and facing the people up on the hill that refused to go down for 40 days. I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of it into, the, into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him. David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. There's no lollygagging here. There's no measuring, okay, is this big? Is this far? And he's running straight at him to take care of business. There's no caution to his actions because the end had to happen now. He's putting his, the procrastination long enough. 40 days, Saul has not stepped forward. He's not going to allow this to go on 41 days. 80 times he's heard this come out, this venom spewed, and God's name besmirched, and his people are cowards. He's not going to say it an 81st time. It's going to end right now. Those words will not be heard in Israel. He said, my name is now on this, and the battle is mine, and I'm going to get the business done. And David runs to meet Goliath, reaching into his bag and taking out a stone. He slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead. He fell face down on the ground. I really want to ask David, was it immediately, boom, he falls down? Or was there a boom and a pause? What hit me? Boom. Either way, he's like Rover. He's dead all over. He's laying there. And here goes David. goes charging up. Can you picture him? Goliath hadn't even pulled his sword out. That's how much he disrespected David and in turn disrespected the power of the living God. He pulls out a sword, puts his head, cuts off Goliath's head, picks it up, shows it to his people, shows it to Philistines and says, who's next? That's what God can do through a simple shepherd boy. He said, I'm the champion. Know my name, but more importantly, know the name of my God. Never again will you do this to our people. Some dads need to step up and slay the giants that are destroying their families. We need to become the leaders that God's calling us to be. Stop shirking your responsibility. Step up and lead your families. 1 Samuel 17 and verse 51 said, When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. 
here's the thing that I found out is when I know what I'm supposed to do when I step in and do that, there's a spiritual victory that takes place. But there's also a spiritual defeat that takes place with Satan. Satan's like, okay, I see that this guy is serious at this point. This woman is, is serious about what she's, and, and we'll live to fight another day, but not right now. Their resolve is too high. James chapter 4 and verse 7 says, when you resist the devil and you make these, not one more day is going to go until this task is done. Satan is like, I'm going to go find someone else I can pick on for a while. Not right now. Not this person. He moves on because there's no play in this one. It is not playing. Let's go. If we choose to continue to procrastinate and not do what's right, what God is calling you to do, then God will replace us. He just will. We have to step up and do what we need to do. That's individuals. That's leaders. That's a church. We've got to do what God called us to do as a congregation, to be light and salt in the greater Collin County area. And if he doesn't, he'll call another church to do that. We've got to step up and love on the people over at Vega Elementary. We've got to help out at Community Lifeline and Samaritan Inn. We've got to support our youth and children's ministries. Well, get your kids here. If And I understand there's some families that are afraid about masks and all that. I, I get that. If your kid's staying home because of it, that's fine. But if your child goes to school five days a week and then you say, well, we're not going to go to church because your kids get the message that this isn't quite as important as what's going on with ball practice in school. We need to support our youth and children's ministries. Amen? It's important because our kids get the message that it's not important if we, we show caution only in this area. Once again, if you have extenuating circumstances, that's your family's call. I'm just saying, let's be consistent. There's a price to be paid for passivity. When we refuse to fight the battles that have our names on them, we pay the price. A final word from the Apostle Paul in the lesson yours. Ephesians 6, verse 10 through 13 says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Not ours. It's trusting that God will do what he says he's going to do. And put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in that time of evil. Then after the battle, you'll be standing firm. Where do you need to step forward? You know the battle that has your name on it. What is it? And whatever it is, let's do it today. If you need to put your Lord on in baptism, we'll rip this whole stage apart. Let's do it this morning. You may not have all the answers of what discipleship means. You know you love Jesus. Jesus loves you. Let's go. Let's put your Lord on in baptism now and start that journey. If you need to confess your sins to a brother or a sister so you can live differently, Paul tells us that's the first step. You'll keep hiding until you can confess and move and go do something different. Let's confess that today. Let's have that conversation. Our shepherds and their wives are on campus. Talk with them. Talk with me. Talk with, with someone you trust, your small group leader. Go say, I, I, I got to talk with you about something. Because tomorrow won't be different if you don't do something today to make that battle.
go away. If you need to have an as for me and my house speech with your family, do it tonight. Do it tonight and say, this has been bugging me for a while. Let's have this conversation. And our family is going to keep following the way that our family uh, generations is going. And if that's going to be, we're going to do some things differently. It may not be pleasant. We're having that conversation tonight. Don't allow procrastination to hinder your growth. Make that change today. We can help you. I invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing.